You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Good morning, everybody. So glad you're here. We're going to dive into God's Word this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians. We are... We have been in the book of Galatians for several weeks now, simply desiring to understand and and appreciate on a daily basis the good news of Jesus Christ. And I've just had this this dream in my heart that people that are part of this church, they'd wake up throughout the week, literally wake up in their beds, and they would be on this journey of discovering the goodness of Jesus Christ spoken over their lives. Yes, spoken 2,000 years ago, but the relevance of what happened 2,000 years ago to your life here and now, the year 2018, God is speaking his goodness over you for every generation. It's displayed through the person of Jesus Christ. And that's our heart, is that we would discover what it means for our lives day in and day out. His identity spoken over you. So this is kind of last half of this, the book of Galatians is really keying in on the implications of what Jesus did on who we are now, our our identity. And that has huge implications to how we live Monday through Sunday. It changes our way of life. And I want us to get that as a church because there's this tendency in Christianity to relegate the message of Jesus, him as God coming and taking on flesh, giving his life on the cross, rising from the dead, we relegate that to being a message that's simply the entry into Christianity. You think of Jesus dying on the cross, giving his life for you. You place your faith in that. Now you're a Christian. Now let's move on to other stuff. I want to tell you as a church, we are not going to move on from that. That is the the lifeblood, the language of the kingdom of God. Jesus' extravagant love poured out for you, and it has great implications for how you live day in and day out. The trials you face, the insecurities you face, the doubts you face, everything that comes at you at a million miles an hour in in a given day, the extravagant love of Jesus, the goodness of God displayed for you 2,000 years ago has amazing implications to all of that. I'm a nerd. I came from an engineering background, actually. Not everyone knows that, but I'm still pretty nerdy and... uh, if you're going to venture into the world of engineering, you start by studying calculus. That's where you have to start. And you, you get through your first couple years of, in, of uh, calculus, and then you move on to engineering. But if you fool yourself into thinking that now you can forget calculus, and now I'm going to move on to the real meat of engineering, just the application, the principles of, of engineering, you're fooling yourself. Because calculus is the language of the universe. It's actually the language of engineering. So you have to, I know you're all like, this, this guy is so nerdy. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point though. That just in a, in a very similar way in, in engineering, calculus is the language of engineering. So it is in Christianity. The good news of Jesus Christ is, is the lifeblood, the language of this life that you're called into in Jesus Christ. So don't move on from it. He's displaying his love to you on a daily basis. And this morning, specifically, as we now enter Galatians chapter 5, we're going to talk about the freedom of Jesus Christ, the freedom that was purchased for you. We're going to understand what freedom is, what it isn't. 
and how it's experienced on a daily basis in your life. So here's our main idea for this morning. Freedom through life with the Spirit is yours in Christ. It's yours. So don't settle for anything less. Freedom through life with the Spirit. There's this relationship with the Spirit of God, Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, that we are invited into that allows us to experience on a daily basis freedom. We're going to understand, uh, we're, going to, we're going to take a look at the different layers of this freedom, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And I just want us as a church to not settle for anything less. Because we'll be tempted to settle for something less than freedom that Jesus purchased for you. We'll mess up. We'll have some doubts. We'll have some unbelief. We'll, have, we'll fall back into old ways of living, old thinking patterns. And then we'll start to fool ourselves that, oh, that freedom. It must just be like this, this distant, kind of ethereal, intangible thing that I'm just supposed to believe on. That has no implications on my daily life. That is a lie. That is a lie. Freedom is yours in Christ Jesus, and it it takes place through this relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're going to unpack that this morning. So Galatians chapter 5, this entire book, the purpose of this entire book is Paul kind of setting the record, not kind of, he is setting the record straight for this group of churches in this region called Galatia. All these churches had been influenced by these, these leaders who had said, yes, I, we, we, can, we affirm that, that, that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ, but you also need to get circumcised, or you also need to follow certain Jewish traditions. And Paul was not going to have it on his watch. So he wanted to set the record straight that if we do that, if we add other requirements to salvation through Jesus Christ simply, it's no longer good news. That Jesus died for nothing. If we're going to add things on to the message of Jesus, It truly is that good. You put your faith in him. You finally die to yourself and you surrender. You allow his life to begin to manifest in your life, to be demonstrated in your life. Let's pray before we read Galatians chapter 5. God, you're here. Not just in the omnipresent way, like you're everywhere at the same time, but God, you're here as the family of God is gathering. There's a hunger in this place. There's an eagerness to know you more And you say you give grace to the humble. We don't have a perfect humility in this place, but I do believe, as I rub shoulders with so many people in this place, there's this hunger to really know the living and real God of the universe that's made himself, um, demonstrated himself through the person of Jesus Christ. We want to know you, Jesus. I pray over every single person this morning, whatever their background is in regards to Christianity or the church or Jesus, This morning, the love of God would pierce all of that. The love of God would be real in this place, in their hearts, in their minds, to wash over them, and that freedom would rule the day in this church. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. My entire message can be summarized in this first verse. For freedom, Christ has set us free, which sounds redundant. But he wants you to know that, that Jesus set you free for an actual lifestyle of freedom. There's a whole new way of living, which is liberty, which is freedom. That is the new trajectory for your life. It's yours in Christ Jesus. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke 
of slavery, which is what I said. Don't settle for anything less. I pretty much just summarized Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and that main truth that we're unpacking this morning. Freedom is yours through life of the Spirit in Christ. Don't settle for anything less. Verse 2, it says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying this truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. We're going to stop right there for a moment because we're going to actually break this chapter into two parts. I want us to first understand what freedom is and what freedom is not. Freedom is the lifestyle that you are ushered into, invited into through Christ Jesus, what he did for you on the cross. He spilled blood, not just to forgive your sins and the consequences of those sins, but he actually paid a price, a high price, to actually change the lifestyle in which you, you carry out uh, your life on this earth. There's a lifestyle change that he purchased for you. And it's a lifestyle of freedom. So within this debate regarding circumcision, there's kind of two aspects of the freedom that Paul is contending for. Firstly, he is contending for a freedom from the law. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. But he said, you're no longer, it doesn't matter about circumcision or uns uncircumcision. It's, it's kind of irrelevant at this point. Christ has set you free from the requirements of the law. And if you want to go back and listen to the podcast, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the proper context of the law. We don't throw out the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. We don't throw out the first 39 books of the Bible. No, we, we, we affirm all 66 books uh, of this Bible, but they have a proper context. And the law has a proper context in the life of a believer. It points us to the perfection of God. In, in the perfection of Jesus, the high price that he paid, and the, the high cost of our sin. The law points us towards that. But it has no um, requirement, or there's no requirement anymore for us to somehow fulfill the requirements of the law to appease God, to satisfy God, for him to, to accept us. It's all through Jesus. So it's freedom from the law. The other freedom that Paul is contending for is this freedom from the oppression of others. And I'd be the first to say that Christianity has been guilty of oppressing people by manipulating and controlling people into uh, this mor moral conformity. And, and Paul is saying, no, we're not, we're not going to, you're free from that. You are no longer 
bound to that, that lifestyle of manipulation and control of others. You now have one king, ruler, and authority over your life, which is the Spirit of God, Christ Jesus. He sits on the throne of your heart. So you're free from the law. You're freed, free from the manipulation of others. But then we get down to verse 13. It says you are called to freedom. This is your calling, to really be free. And if there's one thing I can hope that you have a greater conviction in your heart of as you walk out of this place this morning, it's that you are actually called to freedom. It's not just for your neighbor. It truly is for you. There's a level of freedom from the sins and addictions and mindsets and insecurities and doubts, all of that. You can be free. And we're going to unpack how in the second half of this chapter, but just stick with me. Because then in the very next sentence, he says what freedom is not. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, which is potentially in our day and age which we, what we would love for freedom to be like. Because we live in a very independent age. We live in the, in the, the age of individualism in, in the Western culture especially. And so in our, in our individualistic age, we would love for freedom to be that now we are the kings of our own universe, that we, now we are the ones that dictate what is right and what is wrong. But Paul makes it very clear that that is not freedom. Freedom is not now an opportunity to just do as we will. God is so gracious. God is so good. His love is so unfailing. Therefore, I can just do as I will. Not only is that a, a stomping upon what Jesus did for us, his, him spilling his blood for us, it's, it's a spitting upon that. But on top of that, it's not actually freedom. Because just think for a moment. Think if you now became the king of your own universe, now you dictated what was right and what is wrong. Who is actually Lord of your life? Well, it's you. And you know that's no different than, than your life before you came to Christ? Because bring us all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, God said, I'm giving you freedom in this garden, this entire creation that I've given you. It's yours for your pleasure and for your delight, for my glory. So God told Adam and Eve, and he said, stay away from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, stay away from that tree. And there's this seedling of distrust which exists in all of us. This seedling of distrust that potentially God was holding back from us. God was keeping something from us. So Adam and Eve, they went to the tree. And you know the story. They ate of the tree. And you know how the story ends. It was a cursed existence. There was this belief that God was withholding something from them. Pleasure and delight. But instead, he was trying to protect them, for them to live within the bounds of true freedom. And so true freedom is actually Holy Spirit being king over your life, King Jesus being put on the throne of your life. So when you surrender your life to Christ, it's not for him just to be the eternal savior of your soul, cleansing you from the sin and the consequences of your sin, but now he's the king and the rule of your life. Now he dictates, he, he tells you how to live and the ways in which to live. That is true freedom. I know that's not, that's not a popular message. The message of our day and age would be that now you dictate what is, what is right and what is wrong. That's exactly what happened with Adam and Eve. They became the dictators of, okay, now we indicate what's good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong. But that is a, it's a trap of the enemy. It's a lie. 
Anytime that you begin to believe that somehow you can now be the king and the ruler of your life, it's a trap. Run from it. Run from it. Don't settle for anything less. That is a false sense of freedom. Just think of it this way. Think, think of yourself having to spend some time in jail. Maybe you are a habitual uh, jaywalker or whatever it is. I don't know what your thing is, but maybe you just, you just can't help yourself. And so you're constantly jaywalking. Eventually they catch you and you're put in jail. So you put in your time. I don't know how much time you have to put in for jaywalking, but you put in your time and eventually you're set free. Are you set free into anarchy? Are you set free to just do at however you want? No, freedom in this world it still has certain confines. Now you're submitted to the rule and the reign of, of our government here. And so it is in Christ. We are set free from the bondage, the slavery that he talked about in verse 1. And now we're submitting ourselves to the rule and the reign of Christ Jesus. Through life with the Spirit, he becomes the one who, who leads us and guides us, who shows us the ways in which to walk. But I want you to catch the emphasis here that Paul makes. Is he's, he's really trying to get to the nitty-gritty of the rawness of real life, daily life. What does he emphasize? Expression of freedom happens in community. He says, don't use, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh or for your sinful nature to just ha- have it, to run amok and just have its way. Instead, what, what should be the outlet of this freedom? It should be selfless love towards one another, which is community, which is a whole other aspect in our individualistic age that we don't like to talk about, but it's community. God created us for community. And we, we live in a day and age where it's so easy to isolate ourselves and to make our faith in Jesus Christ an independent pursuit, an isolated pursuit. There's an aspect that is in, that it's, it's your personal responsibility to respond to Jesus. But from that day forward, God calls you into community. And freedom can never truly be experienced or expressed in isolation. If you're just at home watching your church online and you never interact with other believers, actually um, being challenged and encouraged or irritated or annoyed, your freedom is not being tested. Your freedom is not being, uh, the substance of that freedom is never being seen in its fullness. Just think of the entire New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. Every single one of them are written into the context of community. None of them are written ever once in this context of it's solely an individualistic pursuit. Like we're all just spiritual cowboys, just go it alone. Just, it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's about you experiencing the fullness of God in community. And that's hard for our minds to, to wrap around because we are, so, we are so independent. So I'm not trying to beat a dead horse on that one, but I, I want us to, to push past our cultural tendencies and really experience the fullness of what God has for us. That's why we're so adamant about life groups in our church. Life, there's a whole another dimension of community that takes place when instead of being in a theater-style congregation like this, all of a sudden you're gathering on the Word in a living room and you're chowing down some quesadillas or something. All of a sudden, these people are like the facades of religiosity and, and um, superficialities are kind of put to the side. Now these are people who like quesadillas like you, and, 
and they have issues, and we, we talk through those things, and there's quirky personalities, and it's in that context of the living room that so much community happens. That's why we're so adamant about life groups. That's why we're so adamant about people serving in our church. Because it's not until you actually activate yourself in the mission of act, actively like getting your hands dirty, not literally getting your hands dirty, but you know, getting, you know, doing something alongside somebody that you get to know people, that you rub shoulders in a way that the love of God, the freedom that's experienced in Christ can actually be demonstrated. And that's what Paul says. So here, here it is. Here's the kicker. Freedom is not just getting you back to zero. It's like digging you out of this pit, and now you're like standing on ground zero. Now freedom, he's, what he's doing is he's activating them for something. You're set free for something. And so it's a higher plane of living. He picks you out of the pit, doesn't set you back on the same starting point, the datum, if you're a nerd. But he puts you up on a, a higher plane, right? For the sake of time, let's move on to the second chapter. Uh, I mean, the second half of this chapter, verse 16. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions. Paul is, he knows, he knows the list. Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Just key in on verse 25 for a moment. There's two aspects of our relationship with the Holy Spirit that really sets us in this trajectory of actual lifestyle freedom. He says, if we live by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. It's two aspects of our relationship with the Holy Spirit that I just want to key in on for a moment. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, your, your solution for your sin issues, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. That's what Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 when he said, in order to inherit the kingdom of God, you must be born again. There's new life. We live by the Spirit. This new life happens when Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Now there's new life. You've come alive. We live by the Spirit. But then there's a second aspect to now our life with the Holy Spirit, which is lifestyle Christianity. Now we're trying to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We're trying to constantly, daily discern the cadence of the Holy Spirit. How is he leading, leading me? How is he guiding me? And Jesus said you would not be left as orphans. When he left, it'd be better that he left because he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to guide us into all truth. So you have one. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have one who is leading you. Think of it like this. Think of dancing. I am not a good dancer. My wife can attest to that. I don't know when they did dancing lessons, but I must have missed it because I'm just not good at dancing. I, I feel like I have this pressure on me to lead in this dance and, and I just don't know what you're supposed to do. 
But if you think of a dance, someone's leading, right? Someone's leading this dance, and someone is, is in this beautiful way of following along. Or think of a march. If there's a march, someone is either giving the cadence for the rhythm of the march, or there's someone leading the march that you're keeping in step with. It's so similar in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We're keeping in step with him. We're following his leading. We're not leading. We're submitting ourselves to his leading, saying, I want to feel the rhythms of the Holy Spirit to live out this faith in Jesus Christ. This life in the kingdom of God is meant to be led daily in submission to the Holy Spirit, feeling his cadence and his, his rhythm. Taking that analogy a little further, if you're dancing with somebody or if you're in a march, it's not unpredictable and chaotic and um, erratic. Am I right? If you're dancing and, and or you're marching, there is a cadence that brings this sense of predictability. And I'm not saying the Holy Spirit is 100% predictable. What I'm saying is his character is 100% predictable. You can know, you can take to the bank and know what he is like. And he's not going to operate outside of that. There, be, there be, may, may be moments where he leads you into a dip that you didn't see coming. And he woos you in a way that you weren't expecting. But I'm telling you, he's not going to go outside of the bounds of what he's revealed. He's not, he's not erratic. There's this cadence, and the more and more you walk with him, the more and more you, you attempt to live humbly, keeping in step with the Spirit, the more and more you'll, you'll, you'll assume what's coming next. That is the beautiful relationship that Christ is inviting you into this morning. It's yours in Christ Jesus. It's freedom through life with the Spirit. So then if we move back then to verse 17, then we get to the real meat of the battle of daily life. That I think this is, this is the heart of what most of us get frustrated with. When we hear a message about freedom, you're like, hey, well, I'm still struggling with a lot of the same stuff that I've, I've faced for years. Why am I still just as insecure? Why am I still addicted sexually to the same things I've been addicted to? Why am I still a habitual liar? Why am I still angry? Well, Paul gets to the heart of it right here. I want us to understand this because this, this is the meat of the gospel. What he brings us to is actually competing desires. I think we, a lot of times, we bring our attention to these long lists. Envy, strife, anger, uh, drunkenness, all these things, and then uh, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The, we, we see these long lists, and they kind of steal this passage, unfortunately, the attention of our hearts oftentimes. I want you to turn your attention to verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. This is the great battle you and I are invited into. It is a battle of competing desires. There's the desires of the Spirit that come alive in us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. But as long as we're this side of eternity, our sinful nature still resides in us. And there are these desires of the flesh that still rear their face, their ugly face. And so what happens oftentimes in Christianity is we spend our energy and our time in what I like to call sin management. Like, I'm such a jealous person. I need to stop being jealous. And we just like put our minds or concentrate. I guess stop being jealous, stop being jealous, stop being jealous, stop being angry, whatever the sin is that we continually fall into. Instead of getting to the desire, Paul is actually pushing them towards desire. Desires lead to these fruit, to this, this outflow of ugly things or good things if we're feeding the desires of the Spirit. 
Paul is actually pushing them towards desire. What is the root desire that is causing these things to rear their face, their ugly face? Let's just use jealousy as an example. We could say, okay, jealousy is my thing, and I continually fall into that. I, want, I know Christ purchased freedom from jealousy in my life. You could do sin management, which is most of re religious morality, even Christianity. Or you can actually apply gospel Christianity to jealousy, which is getting to the desire. And then you ask, not, not just why am I jealous, but why is it that I'm trying to find my satisfaction in something other than you, Jesus Christ? Well, well, why am I trying to find pleasure through what other people have? Why am I taking my eyes off of you? It becomes a much deeper root issue, which is gospel, which brings us back to our knees and we say, which brings us to real repentance, which is a complete turning of desires. I don't want what they have, God. I want fully what you have for me and I place you as the king and the sufficient one in my life the one who I find complete contentment, complete satisfaction in you, Jesus Christ. Or just think of anger. I struggle with anger. There's moments where I just, I lose it with my kids or whatever it is. I can just get angry at my, myself and beat myself up and I can go to anger management class, you know. That's actually a thing. There's not jealousy management class, but there is anger management class. I could do that. That's a really frustrating existence. I'm just going to tell you. Like sin management is just, it's, it, what happens is we end up trying to convince ourselves that we can in our own power earn our salvation and earn our own righteousness. It, fall, it brings us towards that trap of a false gospel. Or we can say, what is the root of this anger? Why is it that I feel like I have to be in control of everything? Why when life throws me a curveball is it throwing me over the edge? It brings you into this relationship with Holy Spirit where you're inviting him into this root desire issue. Holy Spirit, I, I, I want to I trust you with these, the nuances of life, the unpredictable pieces of life, Holy Spirit. I want you to rule and reign over those things. I want you to be sovereign one. And all of a sudden, it lifts the veil of the power of these things over our lives. We can begin to experience real freedom if we will actually put the, the energy and the um, emotional effort into, into that type of relational repentance through the gospel, we're going to see freedom in our church. And I'm just excited about us experiencing that together. I really am. This isn't an instant thing. This is not a microwave freedom that just happens. This is something that takes place as we live and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. We stay sensitive to his leading. Maybe things that we didn't even know were sin, sin issues that grieved the Holy Spirit before. Now they become an issue as we keep in step with him. And if we take it to the desire, the root desires of it, we can actually deal with it. I want you to sense the grace that Paul speaks in this passage. You notice he lists all of these sins these sins, which are the fruit of these root desires of the flesh. It's kind of the whole gamut. Sexual morality, impurity, strife, jealousy, idolatry, sorcery, drunkenness, orgies. They're all issues in the sight of God. Sin is sin. Not, not all sin 
is of the same level because some sin actually has a greater ripple effect of implications on relationships and pain and hurt of those around us. But all sin is sin in the eyes of God. And so I want you to know that we're all in this together. It doesn't matter what your issue is. If it's sorcery or if it's, uh, if it's envy, Christ wants all of us, and he wants to rule and reign in our hearts to a greater degree. It's in that context that the kingdom of God becomes more evident in our city, in our families, in our schools. And another reason I'm convinced that Paul is contending for the desires over the fruit is because you don't have to, or you actually, you don't, it's the, it's a, sorry. It's the fruit that indicates that there is life in a tree. You don't have to convince, uh, convince me that a tree is alive. You don't place a, a fruit on a dead tree. Instead, the natural outflow of a, of a healthy tree is fruit. And so it is if we just keep our, 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 our focus on connection, healthy connection with the branch, the outflow will be fruit, which is now the final caveat to his, his list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's a bundle package. In this relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's not so much that you're setting out to just cultivate one fruit at a time, make your way through the list. No, as you, as you um, cultivate healthier connection with the Holy Spirit, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, being led by him daily, you get the bundle package. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, you get it all. All of that becomes more evident in your life. There is this unity in the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. They're going to play that song, Spirit Move. I want us to respond in two ways this morning. I know it's winter in Iowa, but I really believe that there's an abundance of fruit coming to our church through freedom right now in February. There's an abundance of fruit as people walk in step in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness flows out of us, out of our lives as we are keeping in step with the Holy Spirit more and more on a daily basis. So there's two responses I want to give an opportunity for this morning. One is for those in this place that want to commit their lives to Jesus. I've talked a lot about that, that moment when you place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, where all of a sudden you realize that I need Jesus I need rescuing, and you put your faith in his sufficiency to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to respond and to commit your life to Christ. But a second response, I want to give everybody an opportunity in this place to begin to walk in step on a greater level, in a greater degree in step with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. I want you to, to make a commitment to believe, to really believe that freedom is yours in Christ Jesus. Because I believe the enemy has incited some lies into your heart. Of, what, of freedom being something other than really what Christ purchased for you. So if you're in this place and you say, Drew, it's fine if everyone's looking around, it's fine. I want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. If you're in this place and you say, Drew, I want to commit my life to Christ. Either you've never done that or maybe you have. This morning, you just know you need to make things right with your creator. If that'd be you, if you just raise your hand. Is there anybody? Celebrate with you. 
When you make a commitment to Jesus Christ, we celebrate with you. Today is a big day for you now to start a new, a new life in Christ. So there's one hand in the back. If there's anybody else, yeah, praise God. If you raised your hand, even if you didn't raise your hand, but this morning you, you didn't have the boldness to raise your hand, you can pray like this right now, okay? Let's bow our heads. We're going to pray a, com- a prayer of commitment to the Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.